You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. If you will, open up your Bibles to Isaiah 9. And if you don't have your own copy of Scripture with you this morning, it's page 573 in your pew Bible. 573. You know, it's, it's not very often I, I, I'm going to open up a sermon talking about the Dallas Cowboys because they are the worst ever, but, <laughs> but I am this morning. Uh, so uh, Roger Staubach, Staubach, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, but he was a quarterback for the Dallas, uh, whatever, Dallas fans, get out of here. All right. <laughs> Some random dude that nobody knows about from the Dallas Cowboys. In 1971, uh, he was a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys in 1971. In fact, he led his team to, the, to a Super Bowl victory. Uh, however, the famed champion admitted that holding a position as a quarterback who didn't call his own signals was a source of trial for him. You see, his coach, Coach Landry, called every play. He told the quarterback when to pass. He told the quarterback when to run. And only in emergency situations was the quarterback able to change the play. Now, even though, Roger con- even though Roger considered Coach Landry to have a genius mind for football, his pride kept telling him that he should be able to run his own team. And so therefore, he was left with a decision to make. Would he ignore his coach and allow pride to rule his life and make himself the star, or would he listen to the coach and do what he thought was best And sometime later, Roger said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. And church, it just got me to thinking the same is true when it comes to our relationship with God. In this life, we're going to go through hard times. Just like a football team, we're going to get knocked around, we're going to get pushed around, we're going to get shoved to the ground by the enemy. We're going to face adversity and tribulations of many kinds. And when we do, we're going to be left with a choice to make. We have a decision. Are we going to listen to the perfect wisdom and promises of God to get through it? Or are we going to let our own pride rule our lives? You see, friends, one leads to victory every time and the other leads to defeat. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, regardless of how the world beats you down, and despite all the inevitable struggles that we will face, Jesus gives us a reason to hope because he's overcome the world. Through his death and resurrection, he declared victory over sin and over Satan and over death. He rules and he reigns as sovereign king over all. You see, church, because Jesus was victorious, we as his children can also live victoriously. But here's the deal. Victory will not come without intentionality. In other words, if we're to live victorious hope-filled lives, then we need to lean on Jesus and let him call the plays over our lives. Am I making sense so far? So this morning, as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah, we are going to learn more about who Jesus is, what he's done, and how he provides reassurance during life's most difficult moments. And it's through our study we're going to be reminded of this important truth. Jesus is our triumphant hope. For troubled times. 
It's, Jesus isn't a triumphant hope for troubled times. He is our triumphant hope for troubled times. Important distinction. So as we begin, let's pray one more time, asking God to bless our time in his word. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to open up this precious book. And, and Lord, it is so rich and, and full of beauty and of your glory and of your majesty. And Lord, I am feeble and weak. And, and God, there's no way I could, I could do justice to your word but you can through the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would speak through me this morning and that you would move our people closer to your son Jesus as a result. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so before jumping into today's text, let's just catch you up to speed and give you a little bit of context of what's going on here. Uh, so God's people chose their own rebellious way rather than God's way. They trusted in human glory instead of God's glory. They embraced the ways of darkness instead of the ways of light. Instead of uh, choosing to be led on clear paths uh, by the Lord himself, they chose the path of confusion. And so as a result, they were living under God's judgment. And so at the opening of today's text, the northern kingdom of Israel, a place referred to as the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, was under conquest from Syria, which was a neighboring enemy nation. The people of Israel were experiencing a great deal of, of loss and grief and despair over this conquest. And to them, all hope seemed lost. However, even though God's people were under God's punishment because of their own rebellion, it was never God's intention to leave them there. Those who were experiencing the agony of defeat would one day experience the achievement of victory. One day, God would defeat the enemy of his people, both literally and spiritually, in the very same place where they took them under siege. One day, all things would be made new through the person and work of Jesus. And so keeping that in mind, let's read today's passage, and then we'll break it down. Isaiah 9, 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with as joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumults and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So there's our passage. You know what, church, when it comes to having perspective in life, it can all be boiled down to one of two things. You're either a glasses-half-full kind of person or you're a glasses-half-empty kind of person. Now, a glasses-half-full kind of person always sees the good out of any situation, and the glasses-half-empty kind of person always sees the bad out of every situation. In other words, you're either a Tigger or you're an Eeyore, 
right? One of two choices. Well, as believers, we are supposed to have a glasses-half-full attitude toward life. But sadly, and I'll be the first to admit it, we tend to focus more on the bad than we do the good, don't we? We tend to let the state of our world bring us down, and instead of letting the surety of our faith lift us up. Friends, when we focus our sights on everything that's wrong in the world today, we miss out on living with a perspective that provides encouragement, joy, and hope for tomorrow. We do. In a 1942 devotional I came across called Abundant Living, it's by this guy named E. Stanley Jones. He was a Methodist doctor and missionary to India. He wrote this. He said, the early Christians did not say in dismay, look what has come to the world. What has the world come to? But in delight, they said, look what has come to the world. They saw not merely that sin did abound, but that grace did abound much more. And on that assurance, the pivot of history swung from blank despair, loss of moral nerve, and fatalism to faith and confidence that at last sin had met its match. You see, today's passage gives us a glimpse of what has come into the world through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it's this glimpse that should provide you and I with a great hope and a glass is half full perspective for the days ahead. Why? Because it is blowing up. It is bursting with victory, this passage today. In fact, found in, this, in today's passage, there's a lot about Jesus. We're just going to boil it down to two hope-filled realities about Jesus. Let's begin by looking at the first. Number one, Jesus is the light of the world. Look again at verse two. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Last Sunday, we had the opportunity to participate in the troop trunk or treat. There we are. More importantly, there's Brian right there. Now, Brian's not here today, and uh, so I get to make fun of him even more. Um, it looks like he's, he, he wants to get a job at Chick-fil-A, according to that picture right there. Eat more chicken. Um, but I was told that as we worked there, we have about, almost 1,000 pumpkins there. It's hard to tell with the picture. But I was told that a number of people from the community went out of their way to thank us for being there, which is a blessing in and of itself, right? But... More importantly, many parents thanked us for being a sharp contrast to some of the other displays that were there. You see, some of the other trunks uh, were decorated in a very dark and scary nature. In fact, there were even some young kiddos who were physically shaking because they were afraid of some of the things that they saw. However, once they arrived at our display, their demeanor completely changed. They went from shaking to smiling. Literally. Why? Because we as a church went out of our way to be a light in the darkness. That's what it means to be a light in the darkness, to be a contrast, yes? Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light, light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In other words, Paul uh, says it only takes a little bit of light to give a person a glimmer of hope. According to Paul, we're to be flashlights into the world. Just as a flashlight draws power from batteries, we are to draw our power from Jesus and shine his light. And in doing so, we could dissipate fear, bring relief, and lift spirits. That's what it means to be a light. And so in today's passage, God's people, they were shaken because of all the darkness around them. However, God promised that, that this season of darkness wasn't going to last forever. 
Isaiah envisioned a day when a great light would display itself to the world, destroy Israel's enemies, and ultimately the enemy of our souls. And the fulfillment of this prophetic vision from above would completely change the people's demeanors down here below. They would go from weeping to rejoicing. Look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy in the harvest at the harvest, and, they, and they, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. A lot of happiness in verse 3. And so Isaiah compares the joy of the coming light to the joy that workers receive at the harvest, or when you get a huge payday, or when soldiers divide the spoils of war. One commentator noted, it's like the locker room of the Super Bowl champions right after the game. It's that kind of joy. Friends, when we begin to understand the implications of the light coming into the world, we too should experience that same type of joy. Look at verse 4 and 5. It says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling, tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What, what's going on here? Well, in the book of Judges, so Isaiah sets his mind uh, back a little bit. In the book of Judges, it tells the account of Gideon, who defeated the overwhelmingly oppressive Midianites. And if you remember, at the time, God's people were powerless to save themselves, and they were enslaved by the enemy. And that's when God showed up in a very surprising way. I've got these verses on the screen from the book of Judges. It says, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands trumpets, they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Within three, when the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other and, uh, with their swords. You see, Gideon's victory over the enemy didn't come by human wisdom or weapons or even reasoning. It came by torches and trumpets that were empowered by the Lord. You see, when these lit torches of a small army of 300 men shone through the darkness, God caused a great terror and confusion to come upon their enemies, and they just destroyed themselves. Well, in the same way, Isaiah envisioned another light coming into the world to defeat the enemy. But this light was much more powerful than the torches of Gideon's army. This light was going to break through Satan's seemingly unbreakable yoke of sin and death. This light was going to overthrow the enemy once and for all. This light was going to expose the darkness, free the captives, and illuminate the way to salvation. This light was going to bring renewal and redemption and refreshment and rejoicing. John says about this light, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, the earth cannot function without sunlight. Do you guys know that? Probably knew that. Probably don't think about it very often. But we can't function without sunlight. In fact, I recently read an article that said if the sun were to suddenly disappear, the earth would be okay for about eight minutes. you got eight minutes to get your affairs in order before all things go downhill. Afterward, complete chaos would ensue. Without sunlight, photosynthesis would stop, killing many plants. Within a few days, the temperature would drop and the human race would quickly die out because we are weak. Within a few months, the ocean surface would freeze over, and eventually the atmosphere would collapse, radiation would seep in, and the earth would turn into an inhospitable wasteland. 
Well, church, just as physical light is necessary for physical life, spiritual light is necessary for spiritual life. Without this light, our souls are nothing more than inhospitable wastelands that are quickly dying out. This was the type of life-giving light that Isaiah envisioned. It was a light that would provide you and I and the world with liberation. And just like Gideon's army, this empowering light was also going to shine from a very unexpected source. You don't often expect a couple of lights and a few torches are going to cause your opposing army to, to turn on one another. Well, there's another unexpected source where this light was going to come from. Verse 6 says, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. You know, one of my favorite baseball movies of all time is The Sandlot. Any Sandlot people in the house? It's cool, there's like 12 of you. Seriously? Come on, man. I don't know if I can pastor a church with 12 Sandlot fans. I mean, come on. There's more of you out there. Okay. You're just afraid to admit it because you're in church. But anyway, uh, there was a scene in the movie when Benny Rodriguez was trying to explain to Smalls who Babe Ruth was. And at one point he said, Smalls, Babe Ruth was like the greatest baseball player who ever lived. I mean, people said he was less than a god but more than a man. You know, like Hercules or something. And of course, we know that even though Babe Ruth was a very special player, he didn't possess any divine attributes. Contrary to what the boys in the Sandlot may have believed, the babe was gifted, but he was just a man, and a very imperfect man. However, there was one person who lived both as God and as man. He possessed 100% humanity and 100% divinity, and that person was Jesus Christ. The phrase, a child is born, points to his humanity. And the phrase, a son is given, points to his deity. According to Isaiah, the light of the world was going to be born into the world. In theological terms, we call this the incarnation, which means the act of being made flesh. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, talking about Jesus. Dr. Uh, Tony Evans notes, he said, he is poured into humanity. He is fully human, so he cried as an infant but he is fully divine and gave life to his mother. He is fully human, so he had to sleep, but he is fully divine and can raise the dead back to life. Our God fully experienced what it is to be human, yet without sinning. He faced hunger and pain, temptation, grief, hardship, rejection. We face no category of human hardship that our Savior has not endured. Isn't that amazing? But friends, this is a vital distinction between us and God. He did it all without sinning. Because the Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. And so the only way for God to defeat the enemy of our souls and provide salvation to us was to become one of us, live a perfect life, and die on a cross for our sins. Hebrews 2.14 says, since, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Church, don't miss this. This is why we need to be walking through life with a joyful, glasses half full perspective. The death and resurrection of Jesus defeated the darkness once and for all. And for those who believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter how dark things get this side of heaven, because when this is all over, we're going to be in heaven forever and ever and ever. It's over. 
It's over. We're going to be in heaven forever. So the mantra of every believer ought to be what we just sang about. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ. Can I get one amen today? <sighs> My goodness, like this is it, church. This is our faith, our reason for victory. Friends, because Jesus is the light of the world, we never need to fear darkness. Even if we, like the Israelites, are shaken to the core, the Lord's light is going to continue to shine brightly and illuminate the pathway to victory. I love what David said in, in Psalm 27.1. He said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? If God is for us, who in the world could be against us? And that's worth praising God for this morning. And number two, the second hope-filled reality, Jesus is the Lord of the world. He's the light, and he is the Lord. Two things we cannot forget about. Look at verse six, uh, second half of verse six. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that this Tuesday is election day. In fact, it's impossible to not know this because the never-ending commercials will not let us forget. They're everywhere. Not that we have, like, online. You can't go to YouTube. You can't go to any web. There's political commercials, yes? And is it just me? Or have they gotten much weirder over the last couple of election cycles? You know, it used to just be, you know, you have this dude. He tells you his positions, whatever. But now it's like you have this dark, scary music. And they find the most unflattering picture of that politician as possible. And they start saying like ridiculous claims like, this politician hates puppies. He's not good for Pennsylvania. You know, like stuff like that. Like seriously, man? I can't vote for him, he hates puppies. People actually believe that stuff. But you know what I'm saying, it happens all the time. Now, Tuesday is an important day. It's a day in which we get to go to the polls, we get to cast our vote for the future leaders of our country. And it's an important day because the outcome is going to most certainly impact our lives one way or the other. And so therefore we need, as God's people, to make it a priority to go out there and vote. It's important. However, we also need to keep Tuesday in proper perspective. Church, keep it in proper perspective. We need to remember that no matter what happens on any given election day, God is still on the throne. And it's in him and him alone that we must place our hope. Psalm 118 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. How many would rather live their lives better? There it is. The prophet Isaiah gives us plenty of reasons. Why it's better to trust in the Lord over anything or anyone else. First, the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, in this context, Isaiah is looking toward a day when the Lord will physically return to rule and reign on earth. We call this the millennial reign of Christ. We'll probably be getting more into this in future passages. But one day, Jesus will return. He's going to establish himself as king on earth, and he's going to govern this place with perfect righteousness. In other words, everything good that we hope for in an earthly government is going to be realized when Jesus is in charge. So yes, it is good 
and profitable to vote for candidates who are going to be salts and lights in the political darkness now. We must do that. However, if we find ourselves living under the most evil and corrupt leadership out there, we can find solace in knowing that one day Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make everything right and new. Bet your bottom dollar on that. Second, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now this word wonderful refers to the ability to work supernatural signs. The word counselor refers to the giving of wise advice. So church, those who are in Christ possess supernatural power to overcome the attacks of the enemy. And likewise, we also have access to his supernatural wisdom for the day-to-day affairs of life. Despite the many dangers and toils and snares here below, we are always only one prayer away from divine help from above. We need to remember that. Next, he's called Mighty God. You know, our world has seen its fair share of great military commanders. Whether it be Napoleon Bonaparte or Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great. These men, they may not have all been good men, but they've always been known for their strength, power, and military prowess. Well, this word mighty was commonly used to describe powerful warriors. That's what that word means. And here Isaiah links that word with God. And again, it tells that uh, Jesus possesses infinite power and that one day he's going to return to slay his enemies once and for all. In fact, David anticipated this conquest when he wrote Psalm 24.8. He said, Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He was looking ahead to this conquest. And so, church, we could find great reassurance in knowing that one day the empire of evil will no longer stand. The enemy of our souls is going to stand quivering before Almighty God. This will end, and it will not end well for those who are opposed to the Lord. Fourth, he is called Everlasting Father. You know, it should come as no surprise to any of us here that our nation is experiencing a crisis of fatherhood. In fact, the absence of fathers in homes has attributed to a number of negative impacts on children, including making them at higher risk for behavioral problems. They're four times more likely to live in poverty, more likely to be incarcerated, twice as likely to never graduate high school, seven times higher risk of teen pregnancy, more vulnerable to abuse and neglect, more likely to use drugs and alcohol, twice as likely to be obese. It's terrible. Simply put, we cannot overestimate the importance of fathers in the home. Of course, not every child grows up with a father in the home is in the clear either. Sadly, there's many who've grown up with their fathers in the homes, but their fathers were abusive and dysfunctional. Friends, regardless of your upbringing, God offers himself to be the father that you never had. Psalm 103.13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Jerry Bridges said that God assumes five fatherly responsibilities toward his children. He provides for us, protects us, encourages us, comforts us, and disciplines us. And according to Isaiah, this type of fatherly love is never ending. And so all this to say, our Heavenly Father, listen, your Heavenly Father, my Heavenly Father, will never fail you. Never fail you. 
Fifth, he's called the Prince of Peace. See, those who trust in Jesus and allow him to govern their lives enjoy the benefits of his peace. They enjoy peace in their relationship with God, which allows them to receive eternal life. They enjoy the peace of God's presence in their day-to-day lives. And they enjoy the peace of knowing that Jesus will return to correct all injustice and rule in a kingdom of peace forever. Look at the first part of verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And finally, one more reason why it's better to trust in the Lord over anything or anyone else is that last sentence in verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In other words, God is deeply passionate about fulfilling his purposes. Whoever he claims to be, church, he is. And whatever he claims he will do, he will do. That is God. No person nor thing can ever thwart his plans. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God never loses. Isn't that a blessing to know? God never loses. Even sometimes when it feels like, oh man, we are on the losing side of this battle as believers. And and by the way, from a worldly perspective, we probably should expect to feel that way from time to time. That, oh man, we're on the losing side of this battle. But the reality is, the spiritual reality is that we are on the winning side. God's got our back. He's already victorious over the cross. We just need to get through this little snag called the world. And one day all things are going to be made right new. Church, because Jesus is the light of the world and the Lord of the world, those who know him need not fear a thing in the world. Watchman Nee uh, was an influential Christian, uh, or influential Chinese church leader and a Christian martyr. And, and he said this. He said, Out, outside of Christ, I am only a sinner. But in Christ, I am saved. Outside of Christ, I am empty. But in Christ, I am full. Outside of Christ, I am weak, but in Christ, I am strong. Outside of Christ, I cannot. In Christ, I am more than able. Outside of Christ, I have been defeated. In Christ, I am already victorious. How meaningful are the words, in Christ? Friends, to be or not to be in Christ is literally the difference between living a life of victory and a life of defeat. Therefore, let me encourage you to choose victory. By inviting Jesus to be your light and your Lord over every situation that you're going through. Because I promise you will not regret it. 1 John 5, 4 and 5 says, For every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And this brings us back to today's truth to remember. Jesus is our triumphant hope for troubled times. So friends, whatever, again, whatever trouble is brewing in your life right now, give it over to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Don't try and try to figure it out on your own. Just give it over to Jesus. 
says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, if you're here today and you don't believe in Jesus, then you cannot experience his triumphant hope. In fact, if you don't believe in Jesus, you have every reason to feel hopeless and defeated. Why? Because the devil has you in his grasp. And if you are left in this state, you will die and you will go to hell. But the good news is that all of that can change right now. Like, not even later tonight. That could all change right now. Listen closely to these words from Scripture. They're not going to be on the screen, so just listen. From Romans 5. It says, but God showed his great love. And I'm just going to change the word us to you, just to personalize it. But God showed his great love to you by sending Jesus Christ to die for you while you were still a sinner. And since we have been made right with God in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made, made us friends of God. Listen, if you want to rejoice in having a wonderful new relationship with God, if you want to be saved from eternal condemnation and receive the free gift of eternal life and be able to hope in Jesus and, and let, let, him, let his light and his lordship carry you through your life, then all you must do right here, right now, is admit that you're a sinner, repent of your sin, asking God to forgive you, and believe in the person and work of Jesus. Friend, if he is calling you to turn to him and place your faith in him, don't ignore that calling. And if you'd like more information on what it means to become a Christian, I would invite you to come forward after the service. You can grab an information packet here. It's got the Gospel of John. It's got some important questions a lot of people ask about the Christian faith. Just come up and grab one. You're more than welcome to do so. But either way, do not leave here without the assurance of your salvation. Do not leave here without the hope of Jesus to carry you through this life. At this time, I'd like to invite the, the praise team and the prayer team to come forward. Praise team, you could obviously come to the stage. Prayer team, you guys can hang out up front here and uh, after we're done with our closing song, if you need to come forward for prayer, the prayer team will be here to pray over you as well. But let me pray, uh, pray us out of, of our time in, in God's word. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for being our triumphant hope through these troubled times. Thank you, Lord, that though we fail you often, and though we are faithless often, you are ever faithful and ever true. You never fail us, God. You are so consistent. Lord Jesus, it is in you and you alone where our hope is found. And God, if there's anyone here today that just need, needed that reassurance, I thank you, God, that they received it today. I pray for those that are within our, our church body, those that are already believers. God, maybe they just needed to hear a portion of this message to, to turn their eyes back to you. Thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that if there's anyone here today that does not know you as Savior, but right, even right now feels that tug to, to give their lives over to you, that they would so, that you would not allow the enemy of their souls to win this battle today. Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you that your word is, is full of power and it's living, it's active. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.